Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have Archbishop Salvador Cordelioni on. He and I became very, very good friends in 2008 when we battled for marriage together. We fought for marriage together. The evangelicals actually were not the first ones. The Catholics came in stronger first before we evangelicals jumped on board. And then we found out about each other and we linked up. It became a very, very profound friendship. A number of the people on this call right now are going to be leading in prayer. Are people who I met through that incredible uh, season uh, of our lives. Uh, at the time, uh, Salvador Corleone was, the, uh, was a bishop here in San Diego. Uh, he since went on to become the Archbishop of San Francisco. He made the news recently, a lot as a matter of fact. Uh, by taking a particular step that we applaud and sincerely appreciate, and that was he dealt with a one of the members of the church in San Francisco. Now, he and I are going to come back in a moment and talk about Proposition 8 and defending marriage, but I'm going to go directly to what has put him in the news again this particular week. Uh, Archbishop, I, it's such a joy to be with you. You and I became good friends. We laughed together, cried together, prayed together. And I mean, on Christmas, Christmas Sunday... Of the 99 churches in your parish you could have gone to, <laughs> to my church. Yes. And I saw it. And then a special event for Rosemary and me, you were the surprise guest they brought out of the back rooms and surprises. You were there to honor us. Uh, the Catholic Chaldean Yeah, the Catholic Chaldean Church. It was so meaningful to us. Archbishop, I am so proud of you. You have I've been with you in a number of countries, not just the US, but we've been together in Italy and other places, and you have stood like a rock. Uh, in your own faith tradition, as well as in the broader culture. Uh, can you give us the background? Tell us a little bit about what has transpired recently that put you, uh, not that you desired any news, you didn't, but it puts you squarely in the national news. Yes, yeah, so well, thanks for having me uh, with you uh, tonight. It really is wonderful, wonderful to be, be back with you. It's the best birthday present I could have. And what you said- yes, what, what I meant we... to say that. Oh, I meant to say, oh, I meant to say that. Uh, uh, Alma, Alma, where are you? C can you I'm here. Just do that one line for me. Just do that one line for me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> oh, I love that rendition of the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're we're really it's honor honored to have you here on this special day. Now, now back to you, sir. Sure. Okay. Well, to give some background, um, you know, it's, we share so much in common and uh, dignity of human life is one of them and uh, beginning with life in the womb. Uh, so, and we know how, how um, aggressive or the speaker of the house is, who's a, a member of my, my flock here in San Francisco. So uh, I've, I've had some conversations with her. I must I must give her credit. She, the times I've been able to speak with her, she's been very generous with her time. She's always been respectful to me. And I think I would say is respectful toward me in public as well. Um, but I'm, I've been trying for quite some time to help her understand how evil abortion is. We're talking about, about dismembering children in their mother's wombs. I, I, I can't imagine anything more evil than that. Uh, to the point of over 60 million now since the Roe decision. 
So that there's no question about how seriously evil this is. Um, so I've, I've been working on that for quite some time. Uh, then I ramped it up in, in September after the Texas heartbeat law, Senate Bill 8, as you all know, would uh, uh, outlaw abortions after the, the detection of a heartbeat about 15 weeks. That's when she uh, vowed to codify the Roe decision in the law and actually even go beyond that, basically to give unfettered, unqualified access to abortion for all nine months all throughout the country. So I know I really then had to do something because <clears throat> all the time I've been here, people have written me, they're scandalized that she can call herself a devout Catholic and receive communion and uh, she's not reprimanded. Now you have to understand for us as Catholics, communion is something uh, beyond a sense of table fellowship. For us, that's, uh, as you know, we believe in the real, it's truly the body and blood of Christ. But the act of receiving communion is a sign of one's uh, unity and faith. So they accept the Catholic faith and they live it out in their lives. And if they're not living it out and, and they're very seriously off the path, they need to be reconciled before they can return to receiving Holy Communion. I issued a, a pastoral letter uh, a year ago at this time, a little over a year ago, to kind of sort this all out, the evil of abortion and the science behind that. Uh, what it means for us as Catholics to receive communion, and what it means to cooperate in evil. So anyone who actively, willfully promotes something as evil as this is in, uh, implicated in the evil itself. That's a very serious sin. So I couldn't uh, underscore more what Pastor Garlow said at the start, that uh, we need to pray for holiness and righteousness. That's what will save the country. So I um, so I knew I had to do something to address this issue of scandal. And non-Catholics even have written to me uh, scandalized by this. And I've heard them voice this as well in the media. They're, they're scandalized, even though they're not Catholic. Uh, so I sent her a letter in September uh, saying how serious this is and um, asking her to backtrack or else I'm going to have to take some kind of public action. And I asked to meet with her and I received no response. Then uh, I launched a, a prayer and fasting campaign for her after that to uh, try to show that uh, we're not coming from a place of hate or of hostility. We love her. That's why we want her to com convert on this issue It's because we care for her eternal soul. Uh, so a prayer and fasting campaign. Uh, then at toward the end of the year, I uh, tried to meet with her again. I contacted our our contact in her office, her, her chief staffer, and it was told that her schedule wouldn't allow it. I tried again at the beginning of this year uh, and I was not uh, able to. Then I wrote her a letter in April. April 7th was the date of the letter. It was some more, uh, I don't wanna go too much into it because it was a private communication, but I, I explained everything in a more thorough fashion. Let's put it that way. And uh, I made it quite explicitly clear there that she had to either repudiate her advocacy for abortion or no longer refer to her Catholic faith in public and receive communion. Or else I would have to make an announcement that she's not to be admitted to communion. So this was both for the person's own good if they're uh, in a serious sinful situation like this and in terms of a public official, this issue of scandal, people are being misled, they're being drawn into error, and people are getting confused. 
So I, I said, or else I would have to make that, that announcement. Uh, and I wasn't sure when to pull the plug. I still was hoping I wouldn't have to. Uh, I knew she was receiving communion, but it, people weren't really noticing. Then on May 4th at a press conference, she referred to herself as a devout Catholic in the context of promoting abortion. Uh, so she explicitly violated what I asked her not to do. Uh, I once again tried to meet with her, uh, but received no response. And so that's what led to, at that point, God gave me this gift as, as hard as it was to do, as unpleasant, and as much as I didn't want to do it. On the other hand, God gave me this gift of making it no doubt in my conscience that I had to do this. And so that's when I made the announcement. Boy, it makes me appreciate you even more, knowing how much effort you put in redemptively for this woman. Thank you for doing I'm gonna ask Chris Clark to help me as we ask some questions. Chris Clark is on the call with me. He's a brother who I admire and respect and he knows the Archbishop well, they know each other well. We work together in Proposition 8. He's a Baptist pastor. Uh, he just abandoned us here in California and left San Diego and went to Michigan. But <clears throat> Chris, be prepared to ask a question in a moment. I'm gonna start us off. Archbishop, when you use the word, um, banning from communion or ex excommunication catholics understand that word better than protestants it's a weakness in the protestant evangelical world but it is rarely exercised that's a biblical construct it's clear from scripture but that is to be done that's a pastoral responsibility or apostolic prophetic responsibility <clears throat> to be done but it's rarely rarely practiced in protestant circles if it is it's uh, met with all kinds of of criticism from people who are simply antinomians. There's a lawlessness in the culture, and they do not grasp standards, morals, and, and fundamental Christian disciplines. So you're in the heart of San Francisco. I really applaud you applying biblical principles. Some would say it's Catholic dogma, but it's more than that. The excommunication principle is scriptural, biblical, and, and even the phrase you use, a sinful situation. Thank you for being willing to use the word sin in a culture that does not like to use that little three-letter word yes. anymore. Uh, a question I would have, have you written up this chronology anywhere in a public place so people can aware the steps, redemptive steps you took to try to bring this lady back to the faith? Uh, when I issued my declaration, I um, issued two letters, one a letter to the general public um, to give some kind of more general background to this, which we pushed out on all our social media platforms. I wrote another one to my priests because I know their people were going to be asking them about this. So I really had them in mind and their care for their pastoral care for their people. In that letter, I did set out this chronology because I knew they needed to understand this background information when people would ask them questions about it. Now that letter we did post on the website of our archdiocese. Uh, so you can go to Archdiocese of San Francisco, bring it up on, on the website, but I didn't put it out on all the so social media platforms because it was really intended for the priests, but I also wanted to make it accessible to everyone so they could understand uh, that further background. I, I wanna be clear too, uh, yes, we certainly have excommunication in our own canon law, uh, this is not actually an excommunication. That's something even more severe that would deprive the person of all, all of their rights. Um, this, is, this is a declaration, really a declaration of a fact 
that she is in a situation where she is not properly disposed to receive uh, Holy Communion. Uh, so it's basically declaring a fact uh, rather than imposing a penalty of excommunication, which would be for something even more serious. I suppose as an evangelical, I would look at it as sort of a pre-excommunication is the way I would look at it. Now, it may not be re result in that for you. You'll, you'll, Lord will lead you on what you need to do on that. Uh, I'm just curious, how many, um, where can we go to your website and, and read those letters? Um, uh, sfarch.org is the website. sfarch.org. Yes. And Arch is for Archbishop, and that's just A-R-C-H. -A A-R-C-H, yes. Yes. How many, how many priests are under your direct care there in San Francisco? Uh, I, I see Maggie waving her hand. Did I get that website address wrong, Maggie? Uh, You're muted. Well, we'll we'll check on it. If we got it wrong, we'll we'll get it back on from her. How many priests approximately do you have? Oh, I have about 180 priests who are doing uh, pastoral work in our parishes. There are many other priests that are doing other kinds of work here. They're not directly under my authority, like in schools and things like that. But I'd say not not counting those who are retired, the retired ones would be about another 60 or 70. But we have about 180 doing pastoral work in parishes. And if I may ask, how did they respond to this? Uh, many uh, contacted me with words of appreciation and, and support. Uh, I've heard no criticisms some who may, might have been a little bit uneasy were, were not critical. Um, one told me that uh, he was, he's a pastor of a parish where there are probably more people than other parishes who would be upset at this. Um, and he told me that, well, I told my parishioner, I asked my parishioner when they complained, did you read his letter? And they said, no. I said, well, you need to read his letter first. Another priest told me this as well. He told the people, you need to read the archbishop's letter first. Uh, then after they do that, it puts everything in a different perspective. It helps them to understand. So I could say I've gotten, I've gotten good support from my priests. That's wonderful. Chris, it's such a joy to have you back on. We all ran together so tight during the Proposition 8 days. Chris, what questions do you have for the Archbishop? Well, it just kind of follows up with the, the, the question as far as your reaction, the, the reaction from your priest. What You don't take an action like this uh, the, the, of such magnitude, Archbishop, without realizing, and you obviously know this, that you're going to receive blowback. You're going to receive repercussions, and there's going to be reverberations, not just within the Catholic Church, but uh, in the general culture, in the general society. Tell us a little bit of the, the repercussions that you've had to experience. And the reason I'm asking this is that it will allow us to, to more strategically pray on your behalf. We'd love to, to, to hear a little bit about some of the, the, the blowback from, from this stand that you've taken. Oh, thank you for those prayers. I so appreciate it and need it. Uh, to be honest, I'm a bit surprised that the blowback, there wasn't as much as I was expecting in terms of personally directed to me, there were the usual things in the media, right? Usual criticisms, um, uh, this is the wrong approach, people should be welcome, we need to engage people in dialogue. But of course, if they read my letter, they would understand I've been trying to do that for many years, and most especially since last September. Um, so I, I have gotten a lot of criticism, obviously in the media, that, that's to be expected. Uh, but uh, 
you know, we haven't had protests in front of the cathedral. We had a, we had a small protest yesterday. I ordained two priests yesterday. There was a small protest in front of the cathedral, but it didn't last that long. I think they just got tired and bored and left basically. So uh, there's not, we've had threats of even before I did this because of the pending Dobbs decision, we've had threats of, of protests and even disruption disrupting our worship services. Or one of our services in the cathedral, they actually, they walked in and disrupted it. Uh, and it's happened one or two other times, but it seems to have quieted it down at this point. And I, I'm a bit surprised that this decision of mine has not um, brought that back to the fore. So I, it hasn't been that bad in terms of what's been directed personally to me. Obviously I've gotten some hate mail on it, but I've got far more words of thanks and support than hate mail. Chris, well, good. We'll, we'll count that to, to God's protectional hand on you than, than, than anything else. That's, that's, that's good to know. Um, and I know, tell us a little bit about, you know, when you make a decision like this and you know that it's right and you know that, that uh, you've got, you have the word of God on your side, that you have scripture on your side, you have history on your side, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that even though it's a hard decision and it's a, it's a hard call to make with another individual like this, it's the right one. There is a, there's a calmness and there's a peace that usually follows that, uh, that you've done the right thing, you can sleep at night. Uh, tell us about your own heart and how you have have reacted and how you've done in in the aftermath since you pulled the trigger and, and made this decision. Thank you. That's exactly where I'm at. It's that kind of peace, you know, only the peace that Christ can give that comes from being at peace in your conscience. I understood uh, certainly this is very biblical. It's properly moral. Not only is all that on our side, we also have science on our side. <laughs> Right, that's very clear. So all of that gave me the conviction and with all the steps I, I've been taking. So I also have conviction that I've been doing this pastorally. This is another thing I'm criticized for is making this political. I'm being too involved in politics, but I always respond, well, what about the civil rights movement? That was led by faith leaders. Were they getting too involved in politics? Should they have stayed in their churches and ignored the great human rights crisis of their time? Uh, you know, we don't, we don't think about that in terms of other issues. Uh, so, um, so I was, I, I have peace of conscience that I did this pastorally, that it's the right thing to do, which uh, gives me what I need to whatever blowback I get, I can, I can bear it because uh, it would be worse if I violated my conscience. You know, at, when it came to that point, when it was very clear to me what I had to do, if I had not done that, Maybe people wouldn't have noticed, but I would have violated my integrity. I would have been compromised if I did not do it when I knew it was the right thing to do. I probably could have gotten away with it because people wouldn't have known, but in my conscience, I would have known and I would not have been at peace. So this has helped to put me at peace in my conscience. And uh, I continue to try to reach out to the speakers. I'm hoping that we can continue a conversation uh, like I said, she's always has been respectful to me, even in the midst of bitter disagreement. And I, I've been very appreciative of that. So I'm not giving up hope that we can reach her spiritually. Chris, I so appreciate the type of questions you ask because your, kind of, your questions led 
the archbishop to be able to teach us all how to stand in the midst of the storm. And, and I, I would just like to submit, Archbishop, one of the reasons that you've not gotten more blowback is because for for all these years, so many years, you have stood so firm for truth and righteousness and holiness that they get tired of messing with you. They know who you are. They know your character. They know you're rooted in scriptural truth. They know you're not, you're not going to budge on this. You're anchored in these kinds of principles, and it causes them to eventually just give up a beating on you because you, you took a lot more beating, I suspect, back in Prop 8 okay. in 2008 than you did on this because we were all newer on the scene. Suddenly they found out who we were. I think yeah. what Chris went through, you went through, and Maggie went through, all of us went through. And, but you have, you have, you've walked it and you've talked it and you've lived it in such a way that uh, they have, they have a, uh, there's a statesmanship anointing upon you. They don't touch you anymore. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. But you know, I'm, I'm often guided by a, a brilliant line. I don't know if you know the movie, The Scarlet and the Black about Monsignor O'Flaherty who uh, was uh, Monsignor in the Vatican during the Second World War. And he was hiding German soldiers and protecting Jews. And it was very dangerous. And higher church authority was worried about that. And they thought he should step back. And uh, in one conversation he had, I think it was with the Cardinal, uh, he said in his Irish brogue, he said, my father always told me that if you look the devil square in the eye and do the right thing, the Lord will give you the upper hand every time. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I, that's a lot of, that's some very wise insight. And I've tried to live by that. And I just got a text from our mutual friend, Dave and Annie Malcolm. I don't know if they're watching or not, but they said that you should be thanked openly for your tremendous support of Father Joe and Father Joe's village here in San Diego, which touched the lives of the poor. It, it was kind of the epicenter of what God was doing to touch the lives of the poor and disenfranchised in our city and you were right in the middle of that in fact i think you were with him even when he passed away and uh, so thank you for your role in that i i know you have a hard stop in a moment here because you have a birthday dinner yes I, want, I, I just want some people to pray for you very quickly before thank katie you. talento i'm going to go to you to lead in prayer katie talento was the speech writer and involved in the pro-life uh in, in the eoc she, her office looked right at the white house she wrote the speeches for Donald Trump on pro-life. She's in the epicenter of the White House. Uh, Katie, if you'll lead in prayer. Uh, John Riddell, would you lead in next? Uh, both of these are, are, are good Catholics. John Riddell is a leader for the things of God in Delaware. He's a special friend of ours who we so respect. And then I'll go right to Frank Schubert. Frank Schubert, uh, also uh, a fellow Catholic brother of ours who led in the center of the Proposition 8 movement I've had the privilege of traveling in other countries with him as well. And these are special people. We'll have some more pray, but let's just go Katie, John, and, and Frank. Now, Frank, we don't know if you're if you're able to unmute or not. We'll see if it'll work or not. But let's go in that order. Lead in prayer, if you would, for a couple moments for the earth. And, and lead in prayer also for Nancy Pelosi's, the redemption of her soul to, to, to truth. Katie, begin right now, would you? Thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, our King, our Father, our High Priest, we just lift up His Excellency today and we ask your mercy and your grace, your protection, your consolation, your holiness on this birthday of His and the Feast of Pentecost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, 
that you have in, you have given us everything we need for life, for virtue. And so I, I just, I think about the cloud of witnesses that is looking upon him and standing with him as he takes a stand for the innocent and for truth and for holiness. And I think about um, my namesake, <laughs> St. Catherine of Siena. And I wanna just pray a little quote from her. And she said to Pope Gregory at her, day, at her time, alas, alas, sweetest father of mine, pardon my presumption in what I have said to you and am saying, I am constrained by the sweet primal truth to say it. His will, father, is this and thus demands of you. It demands that you execute justice on the abundance of many iniquities committed by those who were fed and pastured in the garden of Holy Church, declaring that brutes should not be fed with the food of men. Since he has given you authority and you have assumed it, you should use your virtue and power. And so Lord, we are grateful that this archbishop has been using his virtue and power to try to reach out to this woman who we pray for and we long for her conversion, we long for her repentance. And so with all the martyrs and all the saints and this, this mighty cloud of witnesses, we ask, oh God, heal her heart, heal the wounds that have brought her to this place and deliver her and, and have her be converted, oh God. And we just pray also um, that we just thank you. We thank you for the peace and the resolution, the resolve that you have given uh, to his excellency, like St. Thomas More, that, you know, he dies the king's servant, but God's first. And if this brings the death of his public reputation and his, um, his public standing and his public esteem, or even private esteem with, with those he values, nonetheless, he is your servant first. And so we pray, oh God, we thank you, Lord, we thank you, God, that he is righteous, and we ask you to preserve and protect his vocation, his holiness, every minute of every day. We pray for every priest under his pastoral leadership. We pray for all of them to be as bold, to be as um, virtuous, and, and to be as resolute. And we pray that this would be the beginning of many, many other bishops in the whole U.S. Bishops Conference and around the world, the College of Bishops everywhere, uh, or the College of Cardinals, even as we potentially head into a, a conclave in the coming decade. Lord, we pray for all our pastors, all our shepherds, that they would be righteous, that they would stand against this wickedness, this Holocaust, this genocide. And we ask you to deliver, deliver the innocent into the hands of those, oh God, who would love them and protect them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.